Congratulations on investing in your family by joining us on the AI Parenting Podcast. We are a judgment-free community moving from screen time to quality time. And our motto is don't sedate, relate to create. And today, we're going deep into relating by talking about coding and connection. If you're anxious about the future for your children, we're here to say you're not alone. No one could have predicted how AI would change how we learn, who our friends should be, what activities we should be a part of, what we buy, who we date, and what we do for a living. Now, if you're a parent, the things that we explore today will help your child for a lifetime. And if you're not a parent, today's talk will give you new perspectives on why keying girls into coding is the new frontier of equity in our world of AI. We are so humbled to share this time with Code Equity author Tara Linney. Tara is an international award-winning educator who has helped several schools nationally and internationally with launching and sustaining effective one-on-one programs over the course of the last decade. She holds a BA in Mass Communications and an MS in the Science of Instruction from Drexel University. She has had the privilege to speak at over a hundred conferences in 10 different countries and online, impacting the work of thousands of educators all around the world. Tara's book, Code Equity, Being Girls into Coding is the essential guide enabling equity through learning computer science. And her overall mission is to create a culture of equitable learning conditions for learners of all ages. So today we'll cover three topics. First, we'll cover what biases today hold girls from learning coding. Second, we'll look into what is the reality of today's world of coding. And third, we will look into how does coding relate to gender equity in our world of AI. Ready to get started? Let's jump into it. You had 24 boys and one girl in this class, and you started to dive a little bit deeper, and that kind of led you to the creation of this book. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what did you discover? Like what kind of biases uh, caused that type of shift and that change? So when I started to get into like the actual book based like research into, okay, what is the history of computer science and women, right? Um, there's Grace Hopper, of course, but like what has there been since then? And um, as I started to read and read and read and just take the information in, I was like, Whoa, 1984, when I was one year old, that's when everything changed. <laughs> like, <laughs> and in 1984, you're seeing an uptick in, um, let's see, movies where the woman is the damsel in, the, in distress. You're seeing an uptick in video games where the woman <laughs> is the damsel in distress. Um, you know, you've got Wonder Woman, but nine times out of ten, you're always seeing these males in these roles in media. And um, when it came to the video game aspect, too, like, I mean, no offense, Mar- Mario and Luigi, but, like, it's like, we got so like, you did it right on the nail here. Right, like, like I, mean, I grew up with There's always those this, games. this role, like, it's built into our games, it's built into right. our society and into our movies. And so it's hard to, like, when you see that, that kind of forms your view of what the world should be. It's like in Mario and in Mario and Luigi, from what I uh, recall from those early years, it was like, okay, save the princess. Like, wait, what? And then like you see Hollywood, and it's like, ooh, save the girl, or like it's got to be the hot girl, and like all this. And it's like, well, what about our brains, you know? And so, <laughs> um, when I started to like, you know, read back into just things that had happened over time that caused all of this to change and also reflect on my experiences in growing up, you know, and not seeing role models in front of me of successful women in the field, right? Or um, that are broadcasted on a daily basis. Like when I was in high school, Mark Zuckerberg invented Facebook, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, white guy, Facebook. All right, what about these other tech companies that I use their products? Like, who's behind them? Um, who, what impressions are left on what's developed based on who's building them, right? Because when we talk about programs being built, the person building them leaves 
an imprint on what they build, right? And so if the people that are building these tools that we use are white males, then there's going to be an, a diversity issue. There's going to be an equity issue because empathy can only take you but so far. You need to have a team of diverse individuals that are developing these tools, right? And so, but in order to create that diversity on tech teams nowadays, our students and children need to be able to see themselves and the potential of technology in their futures. Right. And like, I mean, That's I feel a like important. Point. Like, so who should be those who should be those models? Uh, Taro, who would you suggest like are, are good role models that people we, we should be highlighting uh, in schools to get girls like to think that, yeah, this, this is totally possible. These are people that I could look up to. So, well, Google had this site um, which was killed the other year. Um, it happens, but um, it was called Made with Code. And it doesn't exist anymore. Um, but what was nice about the site is that there were two three minute long videos that were really fun and uppity, um, but that showed diverse women doing amazing things with computer science. And one that comes to mind right away is Danielle Feinberg. Um, she works with Pixar Films. So, and if you Google her um, or if you like put her name on YouTube, um, you'll probably come up with the video. But what was nice about that was, OK, young girls, especially they're watching these animated films. Right. And like, you know, they're seeing this really cool stuff going on. And maybe there's like a little inkling in them that's like, I wonder how that's made. One of the most inspiring things about Danielle Feinberg, and she actually um, spoke at ISTE a few years ago, if I recall That's correctly. Right. I, think a, I recall hearing right? her talk at ISTE. I yeah. was like, this is such a great talk. We need more people like her. But that was awesome that you mentioned yeah. her. I, like, I think I was like... It came to mind. I love it. Yeah, I'm trying to like remember that ISTE exactly. I think that I was like in a balcony that was like not in the main like um, main stage area. But I was like in the up balcony and like it was quiet, but there were like the TVs and I saw her and I was like, oh my gosh, it's her. It's like really her. Um, but the really cool thing about her is that she's really like down to earth and um, she shows how technology and computer science come together in making animation. And the cool thing about this is that when girls see that and when they see somebody who looks like them talking about their cool job in the tech world, which is actually making animated movies, they're like, whoa, the connections start to form and they start to make these links and then they start to explore. So we need to be exposing girls to more examples of girls who are doing, girls and women who are doing these really cool things in tech. And one of the nice, um, before I forget it, kind of segues into that. So Khan Academy, which is a free resource, um, has a whole animation curriculum for free that if students want to learn about animation and computer science, they can teach themselves on Khan Academy. So it's not something where like a new software has to be purchased or you've got to spend or invest a lot of money. Time, yes. Money, not so much. So uh, I'm going to put uh, Danielle Feinberg, uh, F-I-E-N-B-E-R-G in, in the chat. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just wanted to, like, before we move on, highlight that we've got some uh, some of our regulars here. Uh, I want to say hi to to Alice. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, Edna says uh, hello as well. She's joining us as well. Uh, and she says it's good to be here. So we appreciate appreciate you, uh, Edna. Um, and I had a, a question come up from um, Steph, and she's saying, uh, my son's into tech and video games, but has gone physically inactive, not really wanting to move anymore. Any suggestions of how we get them to 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 not be so slothful in terms of the movement? So it depends on the video games. There's a lot of really fun fitness games that are out there, um, you know, and they're on commercials, but it also depends on like your gaming system. What I would say is, well, you can't really April Fool's it anymore because April Fool's is already passed. Um, depends on your son's age also, but maybe slowly start to swap out some of the games that are currently there with 
fitness games with games that require your child to actually get up and move around because they do exist. Um, and it really, it depends on if you're Wii or PlayStation or Switch, like it, it varies based on the platform, but they definitely exist on all platforms. That's a really, uh, really great point. Like that's a good way to, to get started. And there's so many, like even games that you can play on your mobile that are kind of get you outside and get you moving as well. So mm-hmm. thanks for suggesting that. It's a great one. <laughs> yeah. Like I play, fit, well, speaking of mobile, I play like Fitbit. Um, they have the bingo challenge, which is like really basic, but I'm a bingo fan. Um, and then there's another app that's connected with Fitbit that is called, uh, what is it called? It's something about like a bunny race. Oh, um, get fit bunny. And so every time I get a certain number of steps, I earn a certain number more moves to go towards solving like a candy crush type of puzzle. <laughs> it's funny. fun. <laughs> uh, the, the, the second area that we were going to move into was, you know, people have these biases because they, perhaps they don't see the role models in this space, but what is the reality? Like, okay, so they don't see it. So maybe they have some assumptions about what it is. And maybe like I I wrote in the promo for this, that there's this kind of feeling that it's this recluse, right? Like this person who doesn't talk to anybody, that's the coder. But Mm -hmm. is that really the case? Like what is like, what are coders like? And um, maybe you can speak from your experience of what, what the world of, of coding is like. Definitely. Um, So when you talk about coding and computer science, it's not like it was back in the 1980s where, you know, you've got this dungeon or sorry, basement um, and the lights are like really low. And then you've got somebody who's like just like chipping away at the computer. Um, It's not like that anymore. It can be. It depends on who's doing it, right? Um, but coding and computer science, the world have become a lot more collaborative in that, yes, there's going to be time where you're, you're solving problems and creating algorithms on your own, but your eyes are not the only eyes that are ever going to be on that. Um, and so... And now with more and more people of all ages, like children and adults, getting into computer science, there's like this whole community around the area. Like if you, um, as an adult, wanted to explore computer science, there's a lot of different like meetup groups that are meeting online around it. Um, and there's a lot of different free resources out there too um, in order to learn like the foundations of computer science and machine learning and like how those things fit into society. So it's... it's like, okay, so I love this. Like <laughs> we're living in a collaborative world. Um, you know, you're suggesting to join a community. Can you give some examples of communities that might be good to join? Definitely. So it um, depends on your role. Um, like if you're an educator, for example, there's a whole ISTE com- um, community around computer science and there's one around um, artificial intelligence. ISTE is the International Society for Tech and Education long acronyms. Um, if you are just a parent, um, or just an adult who's interested. Um, there are meetup groups, and meetup groups are mainly free, but it's based on your geographical area. And I mean, meetup groups cover everything from, like I was in one when I was in Paris around like writing, and it was called Shut Up and Write, and so we'd write for like three hours <laughs> every Sunday and stop for like 10 minutes on the hour. It was fun. Um, but there are also ones around computer science. Um, and there'll be like different boot camps and it really just all depends geographically on your area as well. Um, specifically in the computer science uh, field, uh, you talk about like some communities, I think in the book, uh, for example, Technovation. Um, maybe you can yes. talk a little bit about what that is. Definitely. So um, in the book, I talk about, and I'm updating the book right now, but in the book, um, I talk about Technovation Challenge. And Technovation Challenge in particular is this competition for middle school to high school girls, age girls, um, to create an app that solves a problem in their community. And so like that feels like a really big ask, but what's really great about it is that Um, girls cannot work by themselves on this. Like there has to be at least two and teams of up to five are advisable. Um, It's all free. And 
they make an app in an Android environment to address a problem that they see in their community. So it could be like people are littering too much or maybe people aren't wearing masks or there's a bullying problem. Um, and what's nice is that in the curriculum for the Technovation Challenge, um, it provides step-by-step curriculum on what to do. So like as a facilitator, if you're a parent wanting to um, facilitate a group, you don't have to have very much like um, experience before going in because it's all provided for you. Um, and then it also teaches the girls how to build business plans and marketing plans um, for the app. And then if they want to, then they can submit the app into this international competition, which is it's just amazing. If you have never heard of Technovation Challenge and you have girls, um, whether you're an educator or a parent, definitely check it out. Um, there's a whole YouTube channel of like previous competitions and it's great. I, I love that. Um, and the reason I, I mentioned it was because uh, I helped facilitate a Technovation Challenge uh, at the local university here in Calgary with Professor Maya Wang. And, you know, in there, uh, attending it, they, they asked to do one session in a company where they have uh, female developers and they mm -hmm. asked them, like, well, what are your biggest questions for the developers? And some of them were, were just saying, look, my mom tells me that, like, coding, like, you're just going to sit in a chair all day by yourself. Like, just don't do that career. Like, it's, it's just not good for you. Um, and... It was interesting because the, the developer at the time said, well, no, actually, what we do every day is so collaborative. Every day we're meeting with people, we're connecting with customers. And I think what I like about Technovation was that connection to how is this going to impact our society? And I think that this is the challenge of a lot of our tech today. When we think about the future, we only think about the future often maybe it's a male perspective from the perspective of technology like oh ai is going to like enable this but we don't think about it from the perspective of society as a whole uh, the example was um, that i heard from my brother the other day was the jetsons so the jetsons had very futuristic technology but they never predicted in the movie that the role of women working for example like the the, the assumption was most women were staying at home at the time when the Jetsons first came out. So they never envisioned the society changing because of the technology. But I think this is the this is the key challenge of our day is that the technology and the society are are together, they're interwoven. And the challenge is not the AI technology. The challenge is what does AI te and technology do? How does that change our society? And we need more women. <laughs> who are thinking about the consequences of where this is this is going. Definitely. And you bringing up the consequences aspect actually made me think of something that you shared with me, um, which is this Netflix film called Coded Bias. And it is a must watch, um, very eye opening. Um, and it looks at who who are the developers behind like these big brother like watch companies right or the developers behind the ai that can like read our minds and why is it that some people based on the color of their skin when they put their hand under a water faucet it doesn't sense their hand or when they hold their face up to get it scanned it doesn't sense their face and so um yeah, the the yeah, lead like in that documentary, the, the, the like bias against the highly <laughs> melanated, <laughs> right? Bias against, like it, it, like it's all those biases in our society, right? It's the reason why I mean AI's, um, sorry, Amazon's AI algorithm was not hiring as many women for their warehouses because mm -hmm. most of the people who are already working there were men. They're just using the existing data, and right. so knowing this code is kind of like knowing the law of computers and how they work. And so um, we had a great question from Alice. Um, I want to bring it up if it's possible. So Alice asked, do you think that coding should be considered a subject like English or mathematics in the K-8 curriculum? So K-8 
pay to eight. So here's how I would do it. And in dream world, <laughs> um, I would put coding computer science as its own subject in high school. In K to eight, I would integrate it mandatorily throughout subjects in every grade level because oftentimes when you're in, I can speak for like K to five, for example. In K to five, you tend to see one teacher teaching all of the subjects, maybe two teachers teaching all the subjects, depending upon where you are. I've worked internationally and that has been the case there as well, um, but that was also only two countries. Anyhow, I digress. Um, <laughs> when oh, you get into, <laughs> I'm always interested in your background and your history. Give us more. <laughs> well, when I worked in St. Well, both of my um, both of my schools when I was abroad, they were both American schools. So I worked at the Singapore American School and I worked at the American School of Paris. Um, so they used in both stances. They used. Um, uh, Why was I about to say? Yep, that one. Okay, I was about to say a totally different thing, but they use um, Common Core as their standards. And when you are in a school that uses standards, okay, one of the funnest things about the book for me was that um, I love researching and I love data. Like, you give me a spreadsheet and I'm like, oh my gosh, I could stare at this for hours, and I have. Um, <laughs> but um, in the back of the book, it maps Common Core standards two different computer science activities. And when you look at programs like code.org, for example, in their curriculum, they have their curriculum mapped to common core standards. What does that say when a curriculum is mapped? That says that the tool or the product or wherever you're going that says that it's mapped and linked does not need to live on its own. And so when you look at K through five, there are small, simple little things that can happen in classrooms where computer science starts to be infused into the curriculum, right? Like little changes in words that are being used. When you're talking about pattern recognition in kindergarten, what's the pattern here? Link that back to a coding activity where they're seeing tangrams, where they're seeing puzzles. And then the students will start to make the links and they'll go home and say, oh, I just did this thing on the computer. I, I did coding. Wait, but I also did math. Oh, wait a minute. And the more that they start to see those connections happening in the core subject areas, the more comfortable they get with learning how to code and the more comfortable they get with learning about computer science so that by the time they're in middle school or high school and they're able to choose their electives, computer science now becomes an option because they've been exposed to it and not just in one class, but throughout the duration of their academic career to that point. Oh, Tara, you... I, I love what you're saying. You're you're blowing my mind because it, it like connects all those different things you were referring to earlier. Um, I okay. First of all, like I really appreciate that because to me it's it's like the problem with computers is it's just that, right? It's it's just a tool, and you mm -hmm. know it's kind of like saying to to people to girls, yeah, be really excited about the tool. And I think what you're saying is that, no, it's not about the tool. It's about how does that tool actually impact people. That's what technovation does. That's what we can do. Like if we do more integration and we say, this is just the way that you get to your, your goal. It's just a tool that helps you, you get quicker there. Then the application becomes immediately apparent and obvious. Like this is so good. Uh, Alice is already saying like, um, oh, if I can add that. Yes, I love that. I wonder if pre-service teachers are being trained to code or to use tech in their lessons more seamlessly. That's, That's a great. You, know, you you do some training, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I actually do. Um, and yeah, so I do do some training um, and it varies state by state and country by country, right? It all depends on if computer science is a priority in a geographic area then you'll start to see one of two things 
not often will you see both, but you'll see one of two things. One thing would be in higher ed, when teachers are becoming teachers and becoming certified, it'll be a required course. It's not really required in most higher ed programs. Another thing that you might see is with um, new teacher onboarding. So there's actually three things. So the second thing that you might see is with new teacher onboarding, there might be like a lesson or two around here's what computer science is and this is an initiative within our school. Number three is that you'll see schools and districts, and I've seen this in New Jersey, and I've seen this in some parts of Canada, and I have not actively seen this in other places. That doesn't mean that it's not happening. But what will happen is the school board or the district, somebody who's a decision maker in the environment, will say, hey, computer science is a priority for the next five years. Our teachers need to learn this. And then what you'll start to see is professional learning opportunities that are being brought in, um, like either that live in the district or in the school environment, or they're brought in from the outside to get teachers taught around what computer science is and how to teach it. Because the important thing to understand when it comes to computer science is that it's not a didactic learning program. It's not a didactic learning situation. It's not a thing where, like with some standards, you have to teach how to write an essay. You have to teach proper spelling. You have to teach how to solve for X, right? With computer science, it's more, what we're seeing in education is that it's more about getting the, getting the educator comfortable with iterating on their practice, getting them comfortable with not knowing the right answer, and getting them comfortable with being a facilitator of how to learn. Because when students are learning this new thing, it shouldn't be something where the teacher is saying, this is how you do it. The students need to figure out how to learn it and the teacher needs to be a guide by their side as they're doing this, guiding along the way, but not going into like standing up at the front of class saying you're doing step one, followed by step two, followed by step three. And so that that's a so total awesome. shift. <laughs> that is a huge shift. Yeah. Like uh, to me, that that's a key aspect, like comfort. Mm hmm. Like people have this discomfort then to begin with, and it is only through repeated exposure and other people like the role models, which could even be their teacher saying mm -hmm. that this is normal. This, this isn't a big deal. Like, you know, just you guys can figure this out. I know you can. I figured it out. You can figure it out too. Um, and so really just guiding them, letting them explore rather than dictating like oh you've got to learn this and you gotta learn this it's like oh, that's the thing about everything is sometimes when you go like these are a bunch of things that you have to learn like the interest is immediately gone but it feels like you've got to lead with that that interest uh, especially uh, for girls like you got to make that context relevant pretty fast mm -hmm. if you want them to to be engaged and and to go further on it yeah and speaking of like with girls like another thing about it is the purpose and so what will happen sometimes in schools and in classrooms is that when coding is brought in, especially at the elementary level, it's like, hey, we're going to code this fun game. Okay. Why? Who's it for? Why are we doing this? Like, if I wanted to make a game, I would have made a game at home, but I don't. You know, and so when it comes to girls, we need to have that purpose in there. What is the purpose of the game? What is the purpose of the digital story? If we say that it's a game to teach people how to X, Y, Z, that's better than just saying, hey, build a game. And even empowering the students, boys and girls, to have them choose what X, Y, Z is, but that the object of the game is for the end user to learn something. How does coding relate to gender equity? 
Um, like we, we talked about the purpose. And so if one of like the purposes, especially with code equity, was to get to that level of equity, like how does coding relate to it? And especially in our, our new world of, of AI, would love to hear your thoughts on this, Tara. Definitely. Um, so when it comes to how equity relates to coding, I mean, it relates in so many different ways. It's um, there's a gender line, there's a cultural line, there's a socioeconomic line. And so when it comes to computer science and when it comes to AI, representation matters. So when we talk about the future of technology, which I feel like is right on our doorstep right now. <laughs> um, but when we talk about what that looks like, we need to think about who's designing it. And if we want something that is going to be representative of like our current environments, then we need more gender diversity. We need more race diversity. We need more just ethnic diversity in the people that are developing those technologies. And in order to get to that diversity aspect and in order to get to that equitable like side of things, students of all ages and races and genders and everything need to start to be exposed to computer science at a young age and you can start when they're two, three, four, five, like if they can talk, if they can read a little bit, they can figure it out. They don't need to be a fluent reader and actually computer science helps them to learn how to read, which is another part of my research. But anyhow, I digress. Um, wait, 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 before yeah. you, like, cause this digression I think is important. Um, the reason I, I wanted to just pause there is because I've been like myself looking at some of the, the things that have been happening, not necessarily because you have a background in Singapore. And to me, it was this is interesting thing. I'm reading the like AI superpowers book by Kai-Fu Lee. And in it, he talks about essentially this Sputnik moment for China in 2017 when uh, Google's um, like their their AI was able to beat Lee Sedol one of the top seeded players at the game Go, it beat Chinese players at their game. And it was kind of this massive wake-up call in China. We are getting our butts whooped, you know, by America. We are getting, we're, we're in a lot of trouble here. And so government-level changes in the curriculum resulted um, specifically related to AI. And there was a leak. Um, let's see if I can bring it up. Uh, there was a leak of a, a, a picture of the AI, an AI textbook, which I found very interesting because it was a textbook that was to be used with kindergarten students. Right. So they have a curriculum that goes like kindergarten to like grade 12. And it, it's all different levels and aspects of AI. And it's out there like this is what they are doing now, right now. So this is, um, okay, I'm going to switch my camera view. Hope this works. So this is uh, the example. So uh, these words at the top here, these, these top four words are artificial intelligence. Uh, and then this is, says basically it's for kindergarten, the early kindergarten. So there, there's like two parts of kindergarten. So this is early kindergarten and moving down from there. And so seeing this made me think like, there, like Sputnik was huge for education because it meant like we we're way behind. We've got to totally change everything that we do. We've got to rewrite the curriculums. We need to make it so that, you know, we like we are going to be competitive in this marketplace. And I don't know, like maybe it wasn't a big deal in America, but certainly in China and many places in Asia, it was a big wake up call. And as a result, like that stuff is now it's it's in the curriculum they're changing the way that they teach like they're they really want to be they have like very high objectives to to basically be leaders in this area in a very short like a few years time like 2025 like i think they're like yeah we're probably going to be there um 51 percent of all venture capital uh related to ai is from china 
That doesn't surprise me. I mean, <laughs> you know, as a, not to get too much into politics, but it's all about what you prioritize. And so, um, when, like with this new administration, let me not get too into politics, but, um, with the new administration, when they talk about infrastructure for the future, right, and the future world of work, um, I'm hoping that in the very near future, that there is more conversation around what jobs of the future actually look like. Because I think one thing that we've learned in this pandemic um, for like the last, what, 16 months or so worldwide um, is that there's been an uptick in technology use. Right. From healthcare professionals like, you know, it's not safe to go into the doctor's office. So you're on Zoom or like whatever the um forget the name of the app that they use. But anyhow, you're like on an app. Um, students doing remote learning, um, having more screen time than they ever had before. Right. Um, TikTok becoming an overnight success. Like when I was abroad over in France, um, I actually I went on holiday once. Well, I went on a lot of holidays, but one time I went on holiday to uh, Greece. And I signed up for a tour and, um, you know, whenever you sign up for a tour, you meet all of these like random people (laughs) that you then become like Facebook friends with and all this, that and the other. Well, Instagram. Um, But I met this person who like actually works at TikTok is like a pretty high up like director person. Right. And he's like the guy who does like the chicken nugget thing and he puts the chicken nuggets and all of his TikToks. And I'm like, love it okay (laughs) but and talking with him and like spending time with him um while i was on this tour i'm like you know there's the world as we know it is changing like future is the future as we know it is changing um and so like if we remember back to when we were in school and i can't really speak we're like everybody in the audience but like i went to high school i graduated from high school like Well, I was in high school in the 90s, um, 80s baby. And so back then, um, you know, we weren't really in my environment. We weren't really being prepared for specific industries. Right. But depending upon where you are, maybe you were being prepared for specific industries. I feel like if we're going to start to level out the playing field and make things more diverse and equitable, we need to make sure that all students are receiving computer science education in their K through 12 lives, not just once and not having the option, but having it be something that's a part of the curriculum. Because what we're going to see and what we've already started to see is an uptick in job opportunities that are in the tech industry. Right. Um, Google, for example, is opening a new data center in Raleigh, North Carolina. Like, who opens things in the middle of a pandemic? Um, and so what we're also seeing is an uptick in, um, oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Let's see. What's the thing that, oh, an uptick in hackers, right? And so, right? And so you have different types of hackers that actually the government employs hackers to figure out how the hackers did what they did, right? And so like Facebook just had a whole big data leak, like five million or fifteen million five hundred million like uh accounts oh. <laughs> that was leaked and, and they're like, Oh it's no big deal. I'm like uh, no it's a big There's deal. No it's a big deal. <laughs> right. And so like at the very least if we are empowering students to understand how their data is being used and why ads come up that like, and how they can protect their data. I think that's the first step. The second step is teaching them how to be the people who create these systems, right? Because it's, it's like, I've been talking about this whole time. If we don't have the gender diversity in there, then, you know, when there's, a random drawing going on, the white male is always going to win. Why? Because the white male created the algorithm. Um, so, so, so it's important. It's important for students to learn about these things. Uh, I, I, you, you raised so many good points. It's like kind of, uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying to stay on top of everything because uh, really the, the key that I, I took away from, from that last bit was that we need to start thinking about 
how do we prepare? Like, how do we prepare them for the future? Because the world is already changing. We know this.、Um, we're just trying to figure out the best ways to to keep them in tune. And it, it does feel like、um, when it comes to equity as a whole. Like it, we we don't often consider equity and coding to be like the same thing. Like we feel like coding is this weird thing. Like why do I need to learn this? And then equity is this other thing. Like and, and we don't see how that they're related. And I remember、um, a quote from Meredith Whitaker who said, "Concentrated power is being masked as technology innovation." So all of these things that we see as coding and tech and all these like oh it's it's really complicated math stuff, to me I feel like it's on purpose. We don't want you to explore it. We want you like the the people in power want you to think that this is too hard. You would never like it's very complicated, and as a result they can maintain their their hold onto like basically concentrated power. Because nowadays, more and more industries are being controlled by fewer and fewer people. Like Bill Gates alone probably has more influence on world health policy than many countries.、Um, and in the same way, like why are all these tech companies going up and buying land everywhere? Because they know that that's where the food supply is. So they're they're soon going to control your food. They're going to control your health. Like th- there are few aspects、I、which they will not control. <laughs> I mean, Tara, tell me about it. <laughs> they already do. I mean, when you think about it, like, okay, so like, if we take kids kind of out of it, if we just look at our lives as adults and、okay. how we use technology, I sleep with a Fitbit on. Okay,、um, it tracks my sleep. It tracks my heart rate. It tracks my steps. It tracks. Other things that I can choose to turn on or turn off, right?、Um, like I can track my food. I can track. I can track everything if I want to, right? In terms of like body and health stuff. And so, I've now gotten to the point,、um, actually, for a few years now, where first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is not, you know, meditate or anything like that. It's. I check to see what my sleep score was because if I only got six hours of sleep, I want to go back to sleep. I just bought noise canceling headphones, right? I bought them because the mockingbirds outside are way too loud at two, three o'clock in the morning because it's spring and you know birds. Um, <laughs> anyhow, right, right. those birds getting busy. Yeah, <laughs> they they're doing something.、Yeah. Um, but with the noise canceling Bose headphones, that's still technology. But what it does is it helps me go back to sleep, right? But it's technology that I'm re- relying on to do that. I have a Pixel phone, and if I say the G word, then it thinks that I'm talking to it.、Um, you know, it. Whenever I look at my G alerts, because I don't want it to unlock and you know say, hey, blah blah blah, the morning is this.、Um, but when I look at the news based on what my search history was, it gives me a list of about 20 different articles that I might be interested in, and I'm like. Who on Facebook, based on photos that I liked or posts that I like, it has a whole algorithm saying, "Hey, you might want to see this," and it's like, "No, actually, I've already seen that." But you know, data surrounds us, and there's not really a way that we can just turn it off and say, "Nope," because we're always going to use something. I drive a 2018. Um, well, I won't give all my details away, but I drive a 2018 vehicle, and before I went abroad, my last vehicle was、um, manufactured in 2010, and it didn't have all like the cool gadgets and things like that. My vehicle right now is a push-to-start vehicle, and as soon as I get in the vehicle, it links to my phone and starts playing whatever I have on Spotify. Wow! You know, like our technology is is. Getting to be smarter than us in some ways, which is really scary, but really comforting in some ways. Like it makes us have to think less, but we do need to be mindful of what we're sharing and what's tracking us. 
Like I know what's tracking me and I'm, I'm okay with that. Right. But do our students know? And when we do Google searches and we're searching for things like there's like a little black book that's being kept of everything that we've ever searched for. Right. And a profile being set up about us. And so do our students know this? Do they realize the ramifications that that holds on their futures? Um, and if they don't, it's about bringing things like digital citizenship in to teach them, hey, this stuff matters. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a canned lesson. If you if you have teenage students um, or if you work with high schoolers, the latest season of The Bachelor is enough to show how somebody's, what was it, a Facebook or a Twitter post about um the main lead dressing up in antebellum dresses hmm. uh, as a that. Halloween costume like three years ago. Yeah, you know what I mean? So like when yeah. students see these real world examples, it hits closer to home rather than doing a canned lesson on, okay, we're going to learn about data privacy. No, just look at the news and then have a discussion and then get into why and how. So I would say the, the the key here is that it's it's about like digital citizenship is more than just showing like this is how you do privacy. This is how you do one thing. It's about like what are the practical real world examples? And and all you did was just describe like example after example after example of how this is impacting you. And it kind of doesn't matter if you are into coding or not. You are influenced. You are impacted by code in a big way. And so when you start to see how ubiquitous it is, did you just order something at McDon that McDonald's kiosk and, you know, put this information in? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, yeah, I did. It's like, okay, well, that stuff's being tracked too. Uh, did you just yeah. like browse something like on the web and you just like, you know, flip through th some things on a, like a, your Instagram? It's like those milliseconds were, were all counted just so you know, like you may not have explicitly hit the like button, doesn't matter. Right? Like or did you just sign up for something and say yes to the terms and agreements, but not actually read the terms and agreements? Yeah. Yeah. And, and who has like, the time, right? Like it, it would take right. years just to read them and they get updated all the time. Like, I think it's, it's kind of we're in a post consent world that is used to be the case many years ago. Like computers was just for fun. And it like if, it doesn't matter if you didn't participate. But nowadays you don't say agree. You, you can't get like the jobs, like right. at least the freelance type jobs. You can't, you know, get employment if you are trying to get a LinkedIn profile. Like you, you can't connect with your friends. Like all of these things are withheld from you. Mm -hmm. Like our basically our functioning society is withheld from you if you do not agree to the terms and conditions. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. dark place. I mean, <laughs> I know, I know. Like I, I try to like I try to not always uh, go so so dark. <laughs> <laughs> in in our chats, but I think it's important. Um, it, it kind of draws the the reason why this is so so important. This is code and equity, and um, to me, it goes back to well. I think what you described is is giving practical examples. So the more that the parent can explain those practical examples, the more that, for example, um, a person's like a family a parent's daughter, for example, would be more interested in learning code. If they just explain, you, yeah, you, you see that there's that connection, right? You see, like, this is how it affects all aspects of your life. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned Raleigh um, in North Carolina. Is, is, was that right? Like Raleigh in North yeah, Carolina? Because I remember, mm -hmm. like, they have some of the largest research centers there, mm -hmm. right? And so it's like wherever there's research going on, these tech companies, they want to be right there on the forefront. And when it comes to... Like we, we keep thinking like, oh, maybe the law is going to to save us. But the reality is many of these tech companies are as powerful as countries um, and sometimes more powerful than some countries. And what this means is that sometimes they influence the laws. By the time a law is implemented and it's ready to go, they've already figured out the next thing. Like that's why all the researchers are there. Like they're they're solving the next problem. Oh, okay, you don't want cookies anymore? That's fine. We've got a we got another method. We have brownies to, to trick right. you. Yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah, we've got like the uh, learning cohorts, like or whatever. It's like whatever. We'll find a way. Like we've got like the smartest people on the planet, you know, working on this stuff. And I think that that's the the key part is like 
equity is just about it's about like you having a say and you having a little bit of control and in this world of tech you don't have a lot of say and you don't have a lot of control especially if you you don't know code and you don't know how computers think and or i don't know if i would describe this thinking but how computers process your data and how what they do with it um if you don't understand some of those basics you're always going to be subject to the algorithms and you'd be wondering like why did it not give me any recommendations or why didn't i get recommended on um it, it could be like maybe all they want to do is be popular on instagram okay great what does it take right like we think oh but it's going to be mm-hmm. because i'm going to have like better posts or i'm going to look more beautiful it's like no computers don't really like measure beauty that way no, um, it, it turns out like certain <laughs> things like brightness of the image loudness of the video like those are the things that it actually cares about like not your like your appearance and and like uh, we have these assumptions like oh it must be because like other people like no it has nothing to do with that right we i did some experiments just like increasing the volume on some videos i'm like wow they got promoted mm-hmm. a lot more because computers are very simple right like they they're like numbers they and they like <laughs> what they can measure quickly and measuring mm-hmm. beauty is like a really hard number to measure uh and so they they say yeah forget those let's just focus on the easier things which is how long is the video <laughs> you know how loud is it how bright is it like those are easy mm-hmm. to calculate so let's do those Tara's message today on the AI parenting podcast is so important coding is really the path to equity in our world of AI and we hope that you found what we shared today very helpful and if you can give our podcast a like that's going to help us out a lot next week we're going to learn why some countries are already teaching children in kindergarten about artificial intelligence and we're going to talk a little bit about a very specific moment uh, known as the AI Sputnik crisis that changed education forever so we are looking forward to seeing you again next week. Uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about Terra, you can visit our site at aiparenting.live. You can sign up to be an AI Parenting Insider. Thank you, and we will speak to you soon.